This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Amazing. Uh, we're going to carry on our series, Reading Mark, Meeting Jesus. Now, we've been loving this series, reading the Gospel of Mark and meeting the person of Jesus. And we're going to continue that series today. In a moment, uh, we're going to be in Mark uh, 8. And the big question, my whole preach this morning, the big question we're going to be asking is, who do you say I am? When we think of Jesus, who do we see? What images come to our mind? Who do you say I am? But before we get into the text, fix your eyes on the screen as a few people seek to answer that question, who is Jesus to them? Jesus, oh man. <laughs> Jesus was an Aramaic speaking Galilean. For me, that's really technical. I can't answer that. But you know what I mean? I just cannot answer that. Really. Uh, I'm, I'm so puzzled by, by, by that one. He's a prophet. He's um, one of the messengers of, messengers of God. I think Jesus is an ambassador for goodwill for mankind. Um, I think Jesus was uh, a guy that cared about everybody. I think Jesus was obviously a remarkable man. Some people believe he's black, some believe he's white. Perhaps he was some sort of a mage and he had like, uh, you know, he was practicing magic and stuff. He was coming to this place to, to share his light. He's the one that looks after my parents up there, yeah. I believe that he's my Lord, my King and my Savior, you know. He is the Son of Man. The story of Jesus, there's something about it that makes me like want to believe into it, you know what I'm saying? Like how the guy suffered, you know what I'm saying? It's something that's very strong. So, who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? Now, maybe you think about your street, your family, your community, your workplace. Like when the people that you do life with think of Jesus, what images come to their mind? Like how would they answer that question, who is Jesus? Let's go to Let's go to Mark's gospel, and maybe more pertinently right now, like what would be your answer? Who do you say he is? Well, Mark 8, 27 to 30 says this, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? That's our big question this morning. Who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Kind of like our people in the video clips. Some people say this, some people say that. Some people have this image or this expectation. But what about you? You Can can you imagine Jesus looking at you in the eye, almost pointing the finger, not with intimidation, but with an invitation? Well, what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him, which is a bit of a curious finish to this story. And we'll investigate later, why did Jesus say that to them? But most of our message this morning, most of our time is going to be looking at this question, who do you say he is? You know, if Jesus was looking at you in the eye now, or if if you had to answer that question, who do you see him as? Who do you say he is? What images, what words come to your mind? Who is Jesus to you. In a moment, we're going to grapple with the text uh, and look at the text and ask a few questions. But before that, I want to make a few statements about Jesus. 
as we ask the question, who do we say he is? First of all, this is really, like for someone, so many of us in this room, this is kind of, yeah, we know this, but Jesus is real. Like Jesus is real. The real historical Jesus, like Philippa said in the, in the Alpha clip, she was able to investigate, is Jesus a real person? Like, is it a myth? Is it a nice story to get the kids to bed? You know, is it a fairy tale? Well, actually, the historical evidence for Jesus is overwhelming. He was real. He really lived, really died, and many eyewitnesses account to the resurrection, as in many people saw him alive again after the resurrection. So Jesus is for real. And if that's a question mark for you, can I tell you, get to Alpha. There's a great, every week on Alpha is great, but there's some great conversations and some great um, information, some data. If you're looking for the data, I was with a guy recently, he's like, I need the data. I need the evidence in my hand to know that Jesus is for real. And I'm like, the evidence is right there. The historical accounts are right there. We can investigate this stuff and see that Jesus is real. The historical Jesus is real. But can I tell you something more exciting? Jesus is alive today. So Jesus isn't just a historical figure that lived and died and many saw rise again from the dead. But today, in, this, in the world that we live in, like today, people will come to know Jesus all over the planet. Thousands of people will invite Jesus into their life. I know many people in this room, who, and I've heard your stories, and I've heard the stories of how Jesus transformed your life. Maybe your life was one of hopelessness. Maybe it was one of feeling trapped. You know, I have friends I talked to this week who would even say, you know, I was facing suicide. I was at the end of myself. I was abandoned. I felt hopeless. I felt purposeless. And then Jesus came into my life, or I invited Jesus into my life. And it was like I came alive again. The life and the reality and the freedom of Jesus came alive again in my life. Has anyone got a story like that? Whose story is that? Come on. I know that's so many people in this room. That is our story, that Jesus is alive. And if you don't know Jesus, here's the awesome thing. If you don't know Jesus, then you can do. This isn't a secret club. Actually, the good news, the gospel is for everybody. So if you don't know Jesus today, if you came in this room today looking for hope, looking for freedom, looking for forgiveness, looking for meaning and for purpose, looking for salvation, then you came to the right place because Jesus is alive and is available. But let's look at the text, the text that we just read from Mark 8. And a few things I want us to explore. Jesus was also a Jewish rabbi. So who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? And some people say, well, Jesus was just a teacher. He was just a great prophet or a great teacher. And we don't believe he was just a great teacher but it's important to acknowledge he was a rabbi. He was a Jewish teacher. This is a really important part uh, of the Jesus story. And actually, this passage that we read from Mark's gospel, we see Jesus the rabbi doing his rabbi thing, you know, doing his rabbinical practices. Did you like that articulation there? Doing his rabbi thing. This is a great example of Jesus uh, being a Jewish rabbi in this story. Uh, Jewish rabbis had an approach to discipleship. And it was all through asking questions. Like we see in this passage that Jesus initiated this great teaching through asking a number of questions. Who do people say I am? 
Most of Jesus' teaching you'll see in the Gospels either is him asking somebody a question, which leads to teaching, or somebody asking him a question, which leads to teaching. Very rarely do we find Jesus in a pulpit preaching. Most of the time we see him on the field, out there, engaging with people, asking questions, and being asked questions. And in the middle of all those questions, his teaching comes. We might call it experiential discipleship. Paul Gibbs uh, says this. He says, if Jesus took people on an experience that led to education, why do we educate people and hope that they have an experience? Jesus had this method for discipleship. He would take people on experiences of the kingdom. And in the middle of this experience, that's when he'd bring this education. Maybe for some of us in this room who are passionate about discipleship, passionate about raising up followers of Jesus, maybe that's a mindset shift for us of can we take people on experiences of the kingdom? Now, how do we help people experience God's richness and fullness in their everyday life? That they actually experience God where they are. And in the middle of those experiences, guess what? People then ask a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of questions. He talked through asking questions. Who do people say I am? That was his key question here. So what can we learn from the rabbi's method of discipleship? Maybe that's something for some of us to ponder on. How are we discipling people? How are we raising people up? But another question from this text. You might have spotted that this story was set in a location. It was set in a location called Caesarea Philippi. And Mark's gospel doesn't tell us why. Mark's gospel just tells us that Jesus asked this incredibly profound and deep and important question in this place called Caesarea Philippi. But what's helpful is Matthew's gospel does tell us. So we're going to have a look. Is that okay? So Matthew's gospel tells us the same story, and you'll see the same story with the same text. And then there's an explanation of why Caesarea Philippi. If you're thinking, I don't care why this story is in Caesarea Philippi, then hopefully you'll see the importance of it in a moment. Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's almost exactly the same as Mark's gospel. But then Matthew's gospel goes on a little bit. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Caesarea Philippi. So you may have worked out by, by the name. It's named after the Caesar. So this is the Roman Empire. This is the rule of Rome. And this place is named after the emperor. So actually, this location was famous for its worship of the emperor, its worship of uh, the Roman leader, who was almost seen as a god by the people. But also, this place was famous for the worship of the goat god Pan. You didn't think you'd learn about goat god Pan, did you, this morning? But if you've seen Pan's Labyrinth or Stranger Things, any Stranger Things fans in the room? Yeah, oh, more than I expected. You, then you might be, uh, when you think of the, the, the underside, do they call it the underside? Yeah. 
the underneath, yeah, whatever it's called. So Pan's Labyrinth, Stranger Things, think, think of those things. We get images still of, of this goat god Pan in our, in our modern culture. But the locals, as well as worshipping the Caesar, the emperor, it was also a place known for its worship of the goat god Pan. And actually there was this hole in the ground, if you can imagine this, this hole in the ground, that people, the locals believed was the gateway to hell. They called it, um, the, they called it the gateway to Hades. Now, they believe that this is where people entered uh, the other world, the realm of the dead. And it's in this place, as we see in the text, it's almost like Jesus is stood in front of this gateway. You know, he's stood in front of the gateway to hell, Hades, and he's saying, what you're saying is right, Simon Peter, and the gates of hell, like where I'm actually stood, if you can imagine this scene, Jesus with his disciples, and he's stood in front of this place, in this place where Caesar is worshipped, in this place where locals believe is the gateway to hell, none of this, none of this is going to compare to me, the Christ, the Messiah. Peter, you got it right. So why Caesarea Philippi? Well, Jesus is almost like making a statement, you know. He's making a statement about the kind of leader, the kind of person, the kind of king, the kind of lord, the kind of savior that he's going to be. I'm not going to be like Caesar and Rome that oppresses through violence. And we don't believe that sin and death has the ultimate victory. We don't fear those things. Why? Because Jesus is Messiah. And that's the fourth thing I wanted to say this morning. In terms of who Jesus is, Jesus is real. We're not talking about a fairy tale or a myth. We're talking about reality. Jesus is alive. That reality isn't fixed in a book. That Jesus is alive and present with us today. That Jesus was a, a Jewish rabbi, and he had this method, this approach to discipleship that we can learn from in order to raise other people up. Well, P- Peter got it right. Jesus is the Messiah. So some of you might be asking, what is a Messiah? <laughs> what is a Messiah? Well, Messiah is this Hebrew word, which means anointed one. And the Greek word is Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus, the hope of the ages. You know, this whole people group, the Jewish people, were hoping and waiting that one day Messiah would come and he would get rid of the Romans and he'd reestablish Israel. So they kind of had this military image of Messiah, that he'd be like a, a military hero, that he'd smash the Romans out of the way and he would reestablish the nation of Israel. That's why Jesus said, don't tell anyone. You know, at the end of this passage where he says to Peter, right, you've got it. You've understood this revelation. Don't pass this on. <laughs> you know, don't spread this around. Because Jesus knew if the people whipped up this idea that he was the Messiah, that they would try and raise him up as king and that it would lead to a violent uprising. And Jesus' kingdom wasn't going to come through a violent uprising. Actually, kind of the paradigm is that Jesus' kingdom came through a violent uprising that happened to him. Now, that's the cross, isn't it? That's the, that's the Easter weekend. Not this violent revolutionary uprising of the people taking down Rome, but actually that Rome took down the person, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus is Messiah. For the original people, what that meant, for, the, for the, uh, the, the first Christians or for the Jews of the time, what that meant to be Messiah was kick out Rome, reestablish Israel. But actually what Messiah is, is the one the anointed one, the hope of all the ages, the one that we've been waiting for. 
Like, I don't know about you this morning. I don't, I don't know what you're waiting for this morning. I don't know what you're hoping for. I'd, I'd imagine for everybody in this room, there's a hoping and there's a longing and there's a yearning. You know, that there's promises that you're holding on to. There's maybe a better life that you're hoping for. You know, and sometimes that we, you know, cross our fingers, don't we, and, and wish or we, we rely on luck or whatever else it might be. Well, here, here's the story that Jesus is Messiah, that life doesn't have to be maybe the way life has been. Jesus being Messiah, for the first, uh, for, for the Jews, for the Jews of Jesus' time, being Messiah meant a violent uprising against the powers that be and the reestablishment of Israel. And Jesus essentially rejected that notion, rejected that idea, and said, I'm not that kind of king. I'm not going to be that kind of leader. I'm not going to be another Caesar. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is the Christ means something different. So what could it mean to us? If Jesus is Messiah, then what does that mean to the people in this room? Because none of us are Second Temple Jews, as far as I know. (laughs) None of us lived 2,000 years ago with those hopes and those uh, expectations. None of us lived in that culture, that era. So what does Jesus being Messiah mean to people in this room that live in East Lancashire, that have hopes and dreams? And well, it means this, life doesn't have to be the way it's maybe been, that everything, everything can change. And maybe this morning or maybe this week, you've been thinking to yourself, why does life always seem to work out like this? Why does my life seem to go in this circle? Why does it seem to be trapped why do I seem to bow to these fears or these anxieties? Or why do I keep ending up in the same place over and over again? Life doesn't have to be that way. Can I ask you this question? What, what are you bowing to at the moment? Like what are you bowing to in your life at the moment? What are you making number one in your life at the moment? The lust or envy or even for some of us, religion. You know, for some of us, like that, that notion that if we just do the right things at the right time, then everything will work out. And, we, and sometimes we use r- religion or rituals as a way of trying to bend God's will to our will. Well, here's the thing. Life doesn't have to be this way. Everything can change if we say, Jesus, you are the one. You are Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. You are my Lord and my Savior. And Jesus, I want to make my whole life revolve around you. Like what, what false narrative maybe we, have we bought, we bought into? There, there's a new king in town. This was the declaration 2000, 2,000 years ago. Jesus is Messiah. There's a new king in town. And his kingdom isn't like the other kingdoms of violence and oppression and fear. But this is a kingdom of love and grace and acceptance. And it's a kingdom that welcomes all. Jesus is Messiah. And who is it? Who is it in this story that um, has this moment? We call it Peter's confession of Christ. This revelation. I know for so many people in this room, you've had this revelation. Jesus is the one. All of my hopes, all of my dreams, everything that I need, the, the, uh, the salvation that I need, everything you realize was wrapped up in the person of Jesus. And in this moment, Peter has this same revelation. In history, we call it the con- Peter's confession of Christ. For Peter, everything changed. 
If you read the story, we read it in Mark, we read it in Matthew, everything changed. His name changed. Did you notice? He went from Simon to Peter. Peter means the rock. (laughs) I love that. Simon means the reed, you know, blown about by life's issues. But Peter means the rock. His identity changed. His purpose changed. Peter was a fisherman. And Peter went from fishing for fish to Jesus saying to him, Hey, Peter, your life is meant for so much more than this. I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. I'm going to teach you how to reach out to other people. You've got this awesome skill in fishing. I'm going to transform that skill and that ability into something that is going to change the face of human history. His name changed and his identity changed. His purpose changed and his destiny changed. Like Peter went from a nobody fisherman 2,000 years ago in Galilee to somebody who actually ended up leading the early church, one of the key leaders of the early church. Everything changed for Peter. Why? Because of his confession that Jesus is Messiah. Who do you say he is? Like this morning, that's my question. That's it, really. If, I, if this preach was one sentence long, it would be, Jesus, who do you say he is? Who is he to you? In that moment, for Peter, he became everything. The Christ, the Messiah, the hope of the ages. Well, what about us this morning? Who do we say he is? Maybe we, we lift our hands and sing our praises to Jesus. But what about in our decisions? You know, is Jesus Lord? Is Jesus Messiah when we worship? But what about in our daily decisions? When it comes to our time and our money and our, and our relationships? Maybe this morning that's a question for some of us to reflect on. Is Jesus my Messiah? <laughs> is he my leader? Is he the one that I put all my hope and my trust in? And what does that look like in my day-to-day life? That Jesus being Messiah, for Peter, it was a confession of his mouth. It's something that he said with his mouth. But also, it became his life. It began to dictate, it began to shape all of his life decisions. Everything in his life changed from that moment where he said, Jesus you are the Messiah. And in a moment, for those, of in this, for those of us in this room that are saying, I don't know this Jesus. Like, I want to know him. I want to be in a relationship with this Jesus. Then in a moment, you're going to have an invitation. You're going to have an opportunity to respond to this Jesus. But for Peter, everything changed. Again, what about us this morning? Our name. Now, what's, it, what's in our name? Does, does God actually this morning want to say, this is who I really see you as? Maybe you're named with this name, but actually, actually I see you as this person. Or here's the real reality of your name. Here's the real meaning. Here's what I really see. Here's your true purpose. Maybe for most of your life you've had this skill or this passion or this ability. But maybe this morning actually God wants to transform that skill and that passion and that ability for his purposes. Maybe you're awesome with people. You know, maybe you've got incredible organizational skills, whatever it might be. Peter was a fisherman. But Peter, Jesus said to Peter, you were fishing for people, but now, now I'm going to teach you how to fish for people, how to reach people and bring them into my kingdom. His name, his identity, his purpose, and his whole destiny was changed. What about us in this room this morning? Wow.
Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.